Witherspoon. What a night for the rookie. You think they love him in Seattle? How about six points? Mound for the Marlins. Swung on it, blasted deep to left field. It's going to be long gone. JT with a solo home run. Kane to steal, breakaway, moving in, shooting and scoring. Lane Peterson and Edmonton regains the lead, three to two, and that's a big goal for a guy with a spot on the roster on the line. Sports Radio is back in the Edmonton area. This is Sports 1440 and the Kevin Carius Show. All right, here we go. Um, not here we go if you're the Blue Jays anymore, but uh, Saul 23 on the Kevin Carrier Show, Thursday, October 20, October the 5th, pardon me. And um, man, if you're a Toronto Blue Jays fan, you are singing a hurting song today after what happened yesterday in game number two against the Minnesota Twins. Uh, so many things uh, went wrong in that game uh, to see the Blue Jays eliminated by the Twins in game number two. A two-nothing shutout. Great performance by Sonny Gray. Uh, decisions controversial decisions, poor play on the field, poor hitting at the plate. You can go on and on and on. Um, It was just almost like a microcosm of what's happened to this Blue Jays team for the entire season, what happened uh, yesterday. But the Blue Jays are done. Twins move on. And all the series were actually swept last night uh, in uh, the wild card play-in, if you want to call them, best of three. So now the Blue Jays are... Searching for answers, as our fans. Uh, if you've got some answers, send some texts into us. One eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. We're going to talk a little bit about Blue Jays off the top, and then get to the Oilers uh, last night winning seven two over the Calgary. Almost not even Wranglers, maybe closer to the Hitmen. Uh, maybe eight guys that you'll see on the opening lineup. And uh, it's it was hard to watch. I was down there for two periods and had to leave. Couldn't take it anymore. Uh, anyways, um, everyone talking about the controversial pitching decision when uh, John Schneider and whoever else made the call to take Jose Barrios out and throw in Yusei Kikuchi. Um, for me, yes, that's a, it's a monumental part of the game and a big part of the game, but... I, I still I'm on the side where, um, despite that call and the opposition team getting the feeling of, you know, we just took your best guy out. He was throwing bullets as as John Schneider said in the post game conference. He had electric stuff. Never really seen anyone ever been taken out if they've had electric stuff. If they get into a little trouble, then yes, they're taken out or they're making a change. We get all the analytics. We get everything about uh, turning the roster over. We talked about it yesterday with John Bonus from Minnesota. I brought it up with him. Um, Bonus agreed to an extent that it that that strategy could be in play. Yeah, the strategy was in play, but it was in play before even seeing what happened in the game, to see what happened uh, while the game was going, the eyeball test, everything like that, the feeling of the game, uh, everything else. So, in my mind, and I really feel this, uh, yes, that's that's such a critical part of the game. But the Vladimir Guerrero pickoff on second base is the turning point of the game. And if you can say to the extent of that, 
when the Minnesota Twins chest puffed up and they went, oh, man, we just got Barrios out of the game, even though they didn't really get him out of the game. The Jays took him out of the game. They had even more of a bravado about them, a more of a sense of, wow, we just got out of a massive jam because Vladimir Guerrero fell asleep on second base. Hard to believe that after the game, everyone's saying, you know what? Oh, it was so loud in there. No one could hear, you know, da, 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 da. It was a set play. This is a set play. The Twins said it after the game. On the broadcast, uh, on the other feed, Alex Gonzalez said, uh, Alex Rodriguez, pardon me, said, it's a set play. You can see, all right, tip of the hat. Korea makes the call. Uh, Sonny Gray acknowledges. Get to the set position. Count to two. Bang, bang. Turn around. Fire. There you go. Um Vladimir Guerrero, this is a lot on him, more than anyone else on that team. Uh, we bring in the Duke of Delburn, who was just thoroughly, thoroughly disappointed uh, with what happened yesterday. Uh, now, as much as the pitching change, everyone talks about that Duke. Let's look at the another fact that no one really has said anything. Kikuchi comes in, and Max Kepler's up. Not a hard, hard, hard play to second base. The grounder, Max Kepler, hits it to second. Kevin Biggio juggles it. Turns around, he's, he has to make a good play. He doesn't have to make an outstanding play to get that out. That changes the complexion of the inning. If Kevin Biggio cannot bobble that ball, make the throw, get the out, inning's different. Now, you sent a post out on social media not too happy about the pitching change. Not too happy about other things. But you're down today. The Duke is down. The Duke at Delburn is down today. He's down. Well, I think anybody that invests a lot of their, their time into what, baseball seasons are so long. And I know not everybody watches every game. And I, neither do I. I don't watch all 162. But I'll be honest. I probably watched a, like 100 plus baseball games this year, if not yep. closer to the 120 mark. I watched a ton of Jays. And despite the fact that I get frustrated and, and this and that and, and put my head into my hands and don't turn the TV off, like, I still come back day after day because <laughs> they're my team. And, and they're, they, like, no matter what people out here West say, you know, Mariners fans or producer Brad will, mm-hmm. uh, will uh, drive that nail home all the time, they are Canada's team. And there's something to get yes. behind there. But you said it. This was a microcosm. Perfectly exemplified the entire season for the Blue Jays. In two games. Inability to cash in runs. Like, how do you get nine hits in a game and score no runs? Poor base running. Poor base running. Questionable managerial decisions. I'm not upset with, like, the people that say the analytics are the, the death of the game and stuff. You go back to the Tampa Bay Rays in the World Series against the Dodgers and the decision to pull Blake Snell earlier than, like, he. it was Mm -hmm. a similar situation. Granted, a much bigger stage. But the analytics said that that's when the time was to pull him. The Tampa Bay Rays <laughs> used analytics all year long. The, the, the thing, the, the expression, you know, you don't change your horse in the middle of the race or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, I get you. But that's I not mean, what got the Jays here. The Jays got here by the relying on the strength of their starting pitching. And then this is when they decide to change that. I that's mean, where my issue with the decision lies, yeah. is that you didn't stick with what you've had success doing all season. Um. Runners in scoring position, they were 3 for 14. The biggest 
telling stat, even with all these hits, they had one extra base hit in this series. One. Just one extra base hit. Matt Chapman was a foot away from two hits, changing the complexion of the series. In the sixth inning yesterday, loaded bases. Um, drills that one to left. It was a hard pitch. I mean, he really pounded that off field bar to left. It's it's foul by a foot, uh, but you could just kind of feel the sinking feeling, the pit in your stomach, man. That was the chance uh, with loaded bases. And then a pitch later, he grounds into a inning-inning double play. That was the one instance. The bigger one, obviously, is in the fifth inning when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is picked off with runners on second and third, and you have your best hitter that, that's been your best hitter for a while because he has been better than Vladimir Guerrero and Bull Bichette with a full count. Um, having said that, I was talking to some baseball cronies at the time. Everyone said, just walk Bichette. Get to Biggio. Get to Biggio. Now there lies in another managerial problem. If you are, if you have Kevin Biggio as your fifth hitter, aren't you doomed for success right off the bat? Is that another managerial error? Is it better to have Alejandro Kirk in the five hole? Biggio, yes, he came on at the end of the year. Kirk's a better hitter than Biggio. Everyone knows that. Some dumb, questionable moves, for sure. Where do they come from? I don't know. Were you listening to, Duke, everyone talking about, yeah, this is coming from the top and this is coming from some war room? I, I don't know. I just can't see that happening where you have a big uh, big meeting, a big a bunch of six, eight guys and go, hey, if we're uh, if the score is 0-0 zero, zero in the fourth inning uh, and Jose Barrios walks a batter, can we bring in... You say Kikuchi and flip the order and then see what happens from there? I don't know. I, I well, can't see it. I, I don't think that this decision was exclusively John Schneider's. The, I, I don't think any decision he makes is exclusively his. He has Don Mattingly behind him as his bench coach. That is a man with a ton of experience as a player and as a big league manager. Now, to go and say that, yeah, it's the people up in the boardroom also contributing – I'm not sure I buy I, I into that I quite as much. It. No, not but, as much. But I do think that there was a lot of hands on this. But it goes back to the the original decision to use Jose Brios as your game two starter. If you're so concerned about these left-handers in the Twins lineup, why didn't you start UC Kikuchi? Yeah. He had a great season. Or the other thing is then you're just bringing in uh, Mesa or whatever, right. just someone that can get through a batter or two. There, there's more than uh, enough things to be frustrated oh. about. Like, And you talk about the hitting and the lineup decisions. How do Whit Merrifield and Davis Schneider, and I'm not going to sit here and say Davis Schneider is Babe Ruth. I know he's not. No. But he's shown. He's been nice the, cold too, though. He, when the, when the team needed hits when he was in the lineup, he delivered mm -hmm. more than he didn't, even when he went cold at the end of the season. Okay. Whit Merrifield is a guy that's led the MLB in hits and hit 270 this year. Yeah. Texts flying in. Morning, fellas, uh, from Collins. Stand by my comment yesterday. Can't win with no hits. Regardless of pitching, they weren't going to win with no hits. Well, they had hits. They, they out-hit the Twins in this series. They didn't have any extra base hits. Just one in the series. Uh, 
Texter says, lots of room on the Texas Rangers bandwagon. Um, uh, Braden, is it more frustrating knowing that AA, that is Alex Anthopoulos, was pushed out and has turned Atlanta into the best team in baseball? And Atkins and Shapiro have the Blue Jays looking like a mess. Fair, fair comment from Braden. Um, Alex Anthopoulos has done nothing but win and lock up players long term for the Braves. That's the way it has gone there. Uh, now, you know what's funny? The Twins have turned the Blue Jays into the Twins. The Twins came into this series losers of 18 straight postseason games. Now the Jays have lost, is it seven, I guess? Uh, swept three of, of four in their last uh, three series out of the last four, two straight. So go back to last year. Seattle swept. This year, swept. Uh, last win in the playoffs for the Jays is 2016. And they've been to the playoffs a lot. 2016 in the ALCS, game number four, against the Cleveland, I guess at the time, Indians, now Guardians. Crazy. The runners left on base. Just unbelievable. Again, game of inches, game of feet. Chance for match happened twice. To make a difference in the series was very close, frustrating in that sense. Uh, man, we kind of <laughs> went a little off on the Jays here. We didn't really touch on the Oilers. Uh, we'll get to that uh, a little bit probably around the uh, a 740 uh, hour to touch on the the uh, Oilers winning 7-2 last night. As I count, maybe eight guys on the Calgary Flames roster last night that you might see on opening night. And then the Oilers, you know, and even the Flames vets, they're kind of going, we got one more game left in the preseason. Oh, can we just get through this? And you don't even get motivated. Like, if you're Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and then you go and look and see what the Flames are icing for this game in Edmonton. And by the way, outstanding crowd last night at Rogers Place. Uh, 18,000 plus. Excellent crowd uh, to see uh, that preseason game last night, 7-2. Shots were 42 to 20, but man, it wasn't a pleasant sight for uh, the Flames. Uh, they had a couple, you know, uh, you know, it was 2-2. They made a couple nice plays, scored a couple goals, but I mean, everyone knew what the outcome was going to be before it started. All right, on the Kevin Carey Show on this uh, Thursday, October 5th, we've got John Keim coming up to talk about the Thursday night football game, uh, the pigskin report with John Keim out of Washington. Ladislav Schmid will be our co-host, as he is every Thursday, the former NHLer from 8 to 10. Mark Spector for Booster Juice on the mark at 8 o'clock. Then the headliner of the day, Daily Faceoffs, Frank Saravalli. Uh, from Philly, he's just fired up the Phillies. He was at the game on Tuesday. Uh, so he's uh, fired up. Phillies are moving on to round number two. And, man, that is going to be some kind of series. This next one coming up, Philadelphia and Atlanta next round. Um, still looking at uh, what we're going to check out at 9 o'clock. Uh, maybe we'll sniff something out in that hour. But we do have uh, Edmonton Oil Kings coach Luke Pierce uh, out on the uh, Saski road trip, uh, PA in Saskatoon. Um, not bad, not bad results after you think about it in Prince Albert. Uh, the Oil Kings come out with a, a win in Prince Albert, uh, but lost last night in uh, Saskatoon by a score of 5-3. to three. We will check in with Luke Pierce at 9.20. And then a really interesting dude. Man, oh man. We got Bill Comrie. Yes, Bill Comrie, founder of the Brick. Used to play in the Western League in Moose Jaw. 
Um, played with the Edmonton Oil Kings. There you go. Another uh, tie into the Oil Kings. And, of course, uh, his sons uh, played in the NHL. Uh, Mike, Paul played a little bit here for the Oilers. And then, of course, Eric still uh, playing in Buffalo. Ty played in the Western League. Uh, it's uh, quite the hockey family. So uh, we'll check in with Bill Comrie at 10 o'clock and still working on some things uh, for the 10 o'clock hour. When we come back, we will hook up with John Kime from ESPN.com. Talk about the Thursday night football game, Washington and Chicago. That's coming up on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. All right, welcome back to the big program. The Pigskin Report is brought to you by Mr. Lube. Stop in now for an oil change. No appointment necessary. Be winter ready at one of their nine Edmonton locations. MrLube.com. You can check that site out to uh, see what's cooking at Mr. Lube. Uh, let's welcome in John Kime from ESPN.com. Morning, John. How are you today? Good. How are you? Uh, doing great. Doing great here, except for what happened with the Blue Jays last night north of the border. Not too many fa- happy fans up here for sure. I'm sure they're not. Yeah, uh, but you've got a big game tonight coming up. Uh, Commanders taking on the Chicago Bears. Uh, after that heartbreak last week uh, where the Commanders came so close to knocking off Philadelphia, how does this team respond tonight against Chicago? I think they respond well. Keep in mind, the Bears are coming off an even worse situation where they blew a 21-point lead at home So, you know, to a bad team in Denver. So I think if you're comparing the two heartbreak, so to speak, one for Washington, they showed that they could go toe-to-toe with with the best team or one of the best teams in the NFC. Excuse me, the Bears blew a 21-point lead at home to a team that had given up 70 points the week before. So I think if you're comparing licking wounds, that one's a little bit more confidence-denting, whereas I think this team, especially with their offense, can look at it and say, hey, there's a lot to build on. For sure. Um, John Kime, ESPN.com, is our guest on Sports 1440. What have you seen from quarterback Sam Howell and his maturation process uh, going back from last year building up to this year? Well, you see a lot. And you, what you what we've learned about him is kind of what we've already known in that he's, his demeanor is very even, and I think that plays a big role in why they feel he can have some level of success. He's a hard worker, you know, good arm, has some mobility. So you see a lot of flashes of of really good plays from him, some really good throws. You also see a young guy who's still learning to process all that he sees and trusting what he sees and not trying to see too much. So in other words, like there's sometimes where maybe he's a little bit hesitant to get off or read and then it puts you behind on your progression. <clears throat> and it leads to a lot of sacks. And their line is not great, but, but uh, uh, an average at best line playing in front of a young quarterback still learning is a recipe for a lot of sacks because you know he needs a little extra time to throw and they can't give it to him. They need him to throw a little bit quicker at times, and he's not giving that to them all the time. So that's an area that he still is a, is a work in progress, which you would expect from a young quarterback. And I thought last week he was better in that area, partly because I think the Eagles' secondary was kind of a mess, and that helped, and it helped clarify some of the reads and allowed him to work to second and third progressions in a timely manner. And when he does that, they're a really good offense. Hey, John, how would you assess the the commander's offensive line then uh, with, you know, injuries, younger guys? Uh, how, how would you say what that line has done so far and what can it do moving forward? 
Well, they haven't had any injuries up front. They, I mean, that's the same group that has started. So they're health-wise, they're fine. Um, they have uh, new starters at four line spots compared to last year. And they added, you know, Andrew Wiley, right tackle, center Nick Gates in free agency, shifted another guard, their tackle, Sam Cosby, a guard. So there are changes there, and it takes some time. Now, I will say, like, the tackles have not played, have not been very good and consistent, like, especially right tackle. Andrew Wiley has had struggled the last several games. Um, Charles Leno, left tackle, kind of up and down. Um, but I don't think they're, like I said, I mean, they're, they're not helped. Because everybody looks at the sacks and thinks it's all on the line. Mm-hmm. It's not. A lot of it is on Sam Howell. And that's, you know, when you go back and watch the games and you see that, it is absolutely a lot on a young quarterback. And that's not to criticize as much as to point out he's a young quarterback who is still learning to process at an NFL speed. It takes time. But, like I said, when one thing this line doesn't do is give him – the extra time that he might need. And so that adds to some problems. And, you know, so it's all tied together. It's not a great line. Mm -hmm. There's no mistake in that. I do think that their interior can be pretty solid. So, you know, and I think in the run game, they're not bad. And so there are some, you know, that, that, but again, like when you look at all the sacks to put it on the line would just be inaccurate. And, but the tackles need to be better. And when they get into the NFC East games, you know, you're facing Micah Parsons of the world and all that, it makes it a little bit tougher on them. And, you know, that's where they're going to have to be better. I don't think they're, you know, in terms of how they can get better, it's just they need more time together. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that it's – I don't think it's ever going to be this great group because I just don't think their tackles are at that level. So that will always kind of hold them back a little bit. Fair comments for sure and strong comments from John Kime, ESPN.com. So, John, when you look at uh, Brian Robinson, I mean, if you think where this guy's come from a couple of years ago, even less right. than that, just simply amazing to see where he is now. Can you just uh, express your uh, what you think of his story uh, from where he was to where he is now? Right, and for people who don't know, mm-hmm. he was shot yeah. twice last August, so a couple weeks before the season opener, shot in his knee in an attempted like carjacking slash robbery in Washington, D.C. around 6 o'clock at night. He was just going out to a restaurant, and that happened. So, first of all, lucky that, that it wasn't worse. Um, and what they found is that the knee structure, the structure of the knee was, was, was still fine after the surgery, so he missed, I think it was the first four games last mm. year, but you're coming back from getting shot twice in the leg. I mean, you're not going to be yourself for a while, but he came back and he played and he started to get a little bit better and you could start to see the flashes of what they felt he could be because before that shooting, they had planned on him being their top running back because of what they saw in college, what they saw in practices, et cetera. But you didn't really see it all until later in the year. He had a couple of really good games. But then, you know, the, he had a quad injury, so it just was never quite his year. And he would tell the coaches, you haven't seen what I can do. <clears throat> and you start, you're starting to see more of that. And you're starting to see him, because what they want him to do is run with a little bit more patience on some runs, set up blocks a little bit better. It's a different style of run game under Eric Bieniemy for him. So you're, but you're starting to see that. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see that more tonight and just, you know, he's, he's getting to the second and third levels, and he's setting up blocks a little bit better, and I think he can be a, a bigger help even in the screen game than, than 
um, on a consistent basis. So you're starting to see more. I don't know that he's not quite the most mm-hmm. dynamic back, but he can be a strong, powerful back. And, you know, he may never get those 40 or 50 yard runs, but he's, but I think he can get more of the 10 to 20 types um, going forward. Yeah, I, I mean, he's he's so good in between the tackles. He's just, and he's fun to yeah. watch. And, and it's, it's such a great story. He's a guy you're pulling for. So that's what makes it so yeah. such a neat neat story. So uh, when you mentioned uh, Eric Bieniemy, has the offense looked a lot different in your mind uh, under him? <clears throat> well, I'll just say this. They've scored 30 points in two games already this year. I don't think they ever, I don't think they did that mm. under Scott Turner in his three years. And the last time they've scored 30 or more points in the season three times was in 2016. So that's, you know, that's partly, definitely partly a credit to Biennemi. And I also think some of that's a credit to Sam Howell. I mean, I, mm-hmm. you know, um, he, like I said, he's young, but he is, he is, when it's going, he looks pretty good. And so, you know, but under Biennemi, yeah, I mean, it's looked better. They have, they have some good skill talent. We talked about the line, which is, again, it's not great. I think if this was a better line, you'd be looking at this group even more different, even different, well, more different, I guess, um, or differently. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, but anyway, so he has done a good job. And I think the one thing that he's, there's a couple things that he's brought to this offense. You know, the schemes are what they are. And it's a similar scheme to Kansas City. You don't have Patrick Mahomes, but it's a similar scheme that Andy Reid has run for years. So it's a little bit more um, emphasis on the pass. But I think what he's really brought is a different energy, a different set of demands and, and standards, and then um, the attention to detail. And so that a lot of that remains – some of the detail stuff remains a work in progress because you're doing this at a, at a – you know, when you're doing things at game speed, it just it takes a little bit longer. And, but the attention – but I do think it matters. And I do think that the um, adherence to a standard – is big and and he brings a ton of energy and passion and and he's certainly going to work work their butts off Mm -hmm. but i think i think a lot of other stuff has given a lot of the offensive players um uh, confidence that it can be better they did not have that confidence um prior to this year um we've got uh, john keim espn.com on sports for this morning at 731 in the capital region so uh, john we'll never uh we'll never compare uh justin fields just yet to jalen hurts but last week i mean that commander's defensive line was running pretty good all over hurts and uh, all over that offensive line for for philadelphia what do you expect tonight against the bears it'll be interesting to watch because justin fields obviously if the Bears want to incorporate his legs more, he can be very dangerous. And against the against Washington last year, Washington was pretty much shutting their offense down, and it looked like the game was over. And then he has a 39-yard run on, in the last minute to the five-yard line, and it's like, oh no! And they end up winning the game, but but it was they made a mistake. They had done a good job of containing him all game. They made one mistake and let him get outside, and he hurt him. So that's the big key there. Jalen Hurts hurt him with his legs one time, but what really hurt him in that game was big, long pass plays. Mm-hmm. With Fields, you have to be aware of the legs because he's going to look to run and he can get those long games. So you have to make sure you contain him in the pocket. And this team, Washington, has had some issues being disciplined with their pass rush. I mean, they're, and it, you know, um, Chase Young can be a big time player for them. He also sometimes get out of, gets out of his lane. He's not the only one. Deron Payne will do that. Sometimes they all do that. So they have to be very disciplined with that. 
and then when they have a chance, you got to get them down. But keep him in the pocket as much as possible. And then if they have the design runs, you have to know, you have to make sure you're playing what you need to do. And so the defensive ends have to play it a certain way, and the linebackers have to play it a certain way. If you do that, you have a chance to maybe you'll get four or five yards, but he's not going to whip, you know, break off those 20 and 30 yard runs that can be backbreakers. Um, and so that's what they're going to have to do because make him beat you from the pocket with his arm and down the field. And the, he struggled to do that. And so, if you, but if the Bears are smart and they incorporate his legs more, then he can be even more dangerous. We've got John Kime, ESPN.com on Sports 1440. John, how many books have you authored now? Is it three or four? Um, or is it more? Four. It's four. Okay. No, it's four. But I haven't done one in a while. I haven't okay. done one in a while. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's four. And those are mostly, I mean, it's been a while since I've done any. Well, you're um, too busy. So, but, yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty much it, yeah. Um, um, and those take a lot of work. But I do have a podcast, and I kind of pour the yeah. work into the podcast so instead of the book. Yeah, it's changed, hasn't it, uh, for guys who've been around this long, as long as you and I have been. It's it's changed that dynamic, hasn't it? It has, and, you know, um, yeah, it has. And it's just, it's just it's harder to get things done. And, um, you know, I think there's with so much information available, sometimes those things you have to decide – are they worth it or not? It's mm-hmm. been a, you know, so, but yeah, they can still be fun to do, but they take a lot of work. Did you notice a big change in the, um, I guess, atmosphere and just the overall feeling in, in Washington when, you know, the ownership change and, and things like that? What was that kind of like in the last little while here in Washington? Um, if, if you watch The Wizard of Oz with the Scouse, <laughs> the Wicked Witch of the West with water, it was like that. Oh, I mean, there was man. a, for the fan base, it was, it was absolutely like that. There was a reawakening of the fan base. And once, once Josh Harris was announced as the, the, not announced, once they announced that there was an agreement for him to buy the team, and it looked like, okay, this is absolutely going to happen, season ticket sales started going off. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people would say, I'm not coming back until Dan Snyder's gone. And so they've sold out again tonight. It's a third straight sellout. Used to be sellouts were, were ho-hum here because every game was sold out. And, you know, lately it's been, if it's a sellout, usually it's because the other team is bringing fans. And, you know, this will be the – Arizona was the opener. They sold it out, almost all Washington fans. Tonight, Bears, I would assume it's going to be a heavy Washington, you know, 80% at least – um, Washington crowd. Um, Bills were here. Bills bring a lot of fans. So mm-hmm. that's always going to be the case. But what the point is, you're seeing people coming back. And you're, there's, a, there's a definite renewed enthusiasm around them. And the talk typically is, you know, around not so much, I'm not coming back till Snyder's gone, as it is what this team has to do. It's more confined to the field now, which is a, a welcome, um, which a welcome change for Media, fans, players, coaches, everybody. So, you know, but, but yes, the fan base is, is feeling good. Now, I will say, to, to get them back, they still have to win. I yeah. mean, now, but it's become a normal football situation where it's not about, I'm not coming back till this, till this guy's gone, to they got to win. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the one thing. So for a lot of fans, there's, there's the, you know, you want to win, but it's Ron Rivera's fourth year. And they haven't won, so the f- focus is now more on him than it is on Dan Snyder. So, but there is definitely, I mean, even in training camp, and they had more fans in camp by far this year than they haven't had in a long time. 
and it's because people wanted to come back. Alumni are coming back. It's just there's been it's such it's such a drastic change mm-hmm. that it's even hard to fully describe how refreshing it's been for the fan base. You know, uh, John, there are so many parallels, a lot of parallels between, you know, the Washington team and, and our team here in Edmonton in the CFL because uh, things have happened off the field. There was a name change. Uh, started 0-9 to start this season. Uh, a terrible losing streak at home. So we've been able to draw many parallels here in Edmonton, uh, similar to in Washington for sure. Uh, when you look at the, the um, commander's schedule, these are three very winnable games coming right. up. There's a good chance this team can be five and two heading into week number uh, eight against Philadelphia with a home game. Uh, how what's what's that kind of feeling like amongst the fan base and even the team for that matter? Well, the teams can't look at it that way because you you know I think any team any team that hasn't had a winning season since 2016 cannot look ahead. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so like they have to, you know, uh, against Buffalo a couple weeks ago, they, they talked about that being kind of a measuring stick game for them, and they lose by, you know, 34 points. This is a measuring stick game for them. The Bears are a bad team. You should win. How do you respond, right? So, but I think there, I, th- I do think people over there are well aware that they do have a chance to get on a little bit of a roll. Um, are they dramatically better than the Falcons or Giants? No, mm-hmm. because we've seen them lose those games before. However, if they're if they're the kind of team they think they are, they'll they'll go out and win these games as long as they're healthy, right? And so, yes, it is a good opportunity. And I also think. That, that they feel they would feel very good about a rematch with the Eagles because of what they showed the other day. Um, and so, you know, I think they feel like they have a chance to get something going here. They definitely, again, higher-ups there know it. Um, players can't look at it that mm-hmm. way. But, yeah, this is a good chance for them to get on, get on a little bit of a roll and build some, some legitimate momentum for the first time in years. I mean, they typically after six or seven games – there are several games under 500. This would be quite the reverse. And that's where the fan base would really get excited. I yeah. Hey, hey, John, thanks for spending some time with us. I'm going to head down to Audrey's bookstore here in Edmonton and pick up Legends by the Lake, the Cleveland Browns at <laughs> Municipal Stadium. There you go. I, that, that, yeah, that, that was a labor of love. That's where I'm from. So okay. that was a labor of love. And, yeah. So it says was, it's yeah. still available in paperback, so I'm going to go pick that one up. Wow. There you go. I'll get some residuals in a few years from that. Beautiful. Hey, thanks, John. (laughs) Appreciate it. Thank you. That's John Keim from ESPN.com for our pigskin report. Be winter ready at MrLube.com. Text coming in. Want to get to a couple of them. Hey, this is from Harry. Uh, Born and raised in Edmonton. Sorry, Toronto Sports Network. Keep your network. We have our 1440. I guess it's kind of a shot that we talked about Blue Jays off the top. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm reading something into it, Duke. I don't know. What do you see? Um, Northside Norm uh, has said, can we agree uh, to refer to every Connor to Connor goal this season as C&C Hockey Factory goal? That's Northside Norm. And, of course, he's talking about Connor McDavid, one goal, three assists last night. Connor Brown, two goals, one assist. You could see the chemistry that these two guys had. They played junior together uh, with the Erie uh, Otters, so you can see that happening and brewing. But the best text of it all coming in so far. From the King of Fort Nasty, good morning, KK and Duke. The only thing more disappointing than the Blue Jays' playoff run is the Duke's starting lineup in his fantasy curling league. 
That comes from the King of Fort Nasty. Now, Duke, you want to address uh, the response that you uh, so eloquently uh, penned there? Well, I have uh, I've assembled quite the fantasy curling team. Um, <laughs> Carrie Anderson, Emma Miskew, Laura Walker, Mackenzie Eliash. Uh, I'll, take, uh, I'll take that squad up against anybody's any day. Which leads us to, I mean, you guys got to get a fantasy curling league going. Like, think about... What? Okay. I wonder if there's like um like the weekends of spiels obviously in these big uh, big events they play if there is some daily fan or like like uh, much like you can for golf tournaments on daily fantasy uh, get some action on that I'll have to talk to our friends at Play Alberta see if we can get that set well, up. I, there's betting on everything we know that. Well, there, but man, curling's still pretty niche. There, you people are betting on curling. They are. I gotta find where you should have been at most sports parlor back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> they were betting on everything. Doug Monroe, Kim Cipolla, man, you, you, they had a Shotsky in the back of the bar there. Do you, do you know what that is, Duke? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've had a few of those. There you go. So, um, but I think, I, I don't think you, for a curling fantasy league, you couldn't probably do players. Could you do teams? Would it be more of a survivor pool thing? Well, like you could draft players, but you just much like uh, like in any other fantasy league, you draft per position. So you have maybe a couple skips, a couple uh, thirds, leads, and seconds in there. But and then, then you, you, you got your alternates. You're hoping they maybe get a match in here and there. I don't but know. Are you, but are you on curling percentages? I, or you I think shots? that would be the only way. And like points for wins, and then yeah, your percentage of shots made maybe, and like this would get really into it, and it would only be available for these big events where they have the full team of the yep. broadcast there, but like d- determining like the difficulty level of a shot and then all of a sudden making those is worth more. This is there. You guys can build a program I'm going to have to here. dive into this. You build a program, you're going to make a fortune on this. And just think of this. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you've got, you know, grandparents alive. I've got a lot of seniors that are in my life. They love curling. Every, there if, if curling is on, they're watching it. Oh, yeah. You... And now you're going to be, uh, they got the iPads out, they got the computers out, they're going to be following their fantasy curling teams. I love it, Kev. You, oh, you've, you've sparked something This here. is amazing. And then we got uh, King of Fort Nasty, I yeah. think, too. For we'll get, the king can it. get a little cut, a small cut. Small piece. Minor amount. Um, keep the text coming in, one 401 I'm going to pose this question to you before we go to break. Can you compare Jose Barrios being lifted at that point of the game last night, for you say Kikuchi, in any other sport, is there a comparable? Has it ever happened where you can say this is similar to what happened yesterday in the Blue Jays game? I have one, only one, and it goes back to 1980. I don't think I could find another one or could think of another one. If our listeners can think of one, is there one comparable in any sport? where one player was lifted when he was, as John Schneider said, throwing electric stuff. Is there one comparable in any sport? Let us know. one 401 1440 More to come on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. All right, welcome back to the big program, our daily morning fix of uh, BA for the Duke. Uh, that comes at this break all the time. It's just a standard ritual. Is that correct? Uh, barring unforeseen circumstances, yes. the odd time we have a 740 guest or mm-hmm. something, or, you know, whatever. I, but yeah, I'm pretty predictable. Also, uh, Jason Greger, if you're listening, uh, can you send out uh, a little note uh, on, uh, I don't know, LinkedIn or wherever you do your stuff? Uh, we need to get three producers, uh, hire three new producers here. The Duke, Connor Halley, and Freddy Krueger are going to put together a curling program for fantasy curling. 
and start up a league and make a mint. Residuals go to myself and the King of Fort Nasty. Thank you very much, King, for bringing that in. It's like to say, there are no bad ideas, just ideas that certain people make them better, right? Uh, <laughs> a little earlier, I sent out uh, to our texters uh, to, you know, send us a note. What can you compare to the Blue Jays taking out the pitcher yesterday, Jose Barrios, for Yusei Kikuchi when Barrios was uh, dealing? Uh, lots coming in. Aaron goes, KK and DOD, I have a bad sports decision for you. March of 06, in a game between the Oilers and Stars, Craig McTavish made the extremely unusual decision to lift starting goalie Ty Conklin after overtime for a cold Mike Morrison in the shootout. You can guess how that turned out. Now, that is a good one. That is a really good one. Um, A lot of people coming in with Gretzky in the shootout in Nagano. Uh, It's kind of comparable because... Uh, but he wasn't really in. He was never in. He wasn't taken out. So, uh, but a very good point uh, that uh, a couple of people have uh, sent in that Gord Oil and uh, didn't Gretzky not get in the shootout for the gold medal? Uh, that was Crawford too. When one texter said it was Mike Keenan. Um, getting back to the the pitching thing, yes, hey guys, it doesn't matter if the Jays pulled Barrios; they scored zero runs. Craig and Redner, uh, for sure. And we've talked about that off the top and. Um, Runners in scoring position, hitting, non-existent. One extra base hit, that's it. One extra base hit. Uh, Do you know what comparable to the Jays lifting? Jose Brias, John Schneider did it, saying he had electric stuff for Yusei Kikuchi. This is the only one that I could come up with that is a comparable. 1980, Miracle on Ice. United States versus CCCP. Victor Tikhanov took out Vladislav Tretyak in goal and put in Vladimir Mishkin. Um, if you've ever seen the the movie Miracle, Kurt Russell does he does an amazing, uh, amazing job portraying head coach uh, Herb Brooks. Now. If, if you recall in that movie, and I mean, who knows exactly what was said, but Herb Brooks said, he called the guys over to the bench after the first period and he said, guys, guys, look at this, look at this. This is what you've done. You just pulled, you just got Victor Tikhanov to pull the best goalie in the world. That was an amazing part. But again, you could see the bravado. The chess puffed out. Yes, it's just a movie. We don't know exactly what happened in 1980, but it was a part of the movie where you could see momentum changing. Um, you saw that yesterday. Momentum changed. Too bad we didn't have Lorianne Munzer in here. She would have some good points. How do the players feel on the Jays? How do the players feel on the Twins? Comparable, for sure. Victor Tikhanov, 1980, Miracle on Ice, Lake Placid. Vladislav Trechek out, Vladimir Mishkin in. Well, what do we got coming up here, Duke? We got uh, top of the hour. Vladislav Schmid will guest with us. Uh, do you think Laddie, how do you think his chest is puffed out after the Ryder Cup? And th- you know what? I wish people could have seen Vladislav Schmid last week uh, when we had 
Keith, uh, his last name is escaping me, from uh, Keith Stewart, I Keith believe. Stewart, yeah. Uh, he, we were talking Ryder Cup. So this was at 9 o'clock, and Laddie in the commercial break said, why do you got this guy on? What do you got? What do you got this guy on while I'm on? I, I don't want to talk about anything like this. I hate golf. I don't want to talk about golf. This is, makes no sense. You want me to hear? You want? I'll talk about hockey. You know? Why don't you get some other hockey guys in? We'll talk hockey and whatever. I'll talk. I don't want to talk golf. Well, Keith started talking about how the Americans were going to crush Europe, and of course, Laddie, being from Czech, he started listening. Well, by the end of it. These two guys were going back and forth and back and forth, and it was just hilarious to hear exactly they're uh, playing off each other, and Laddie was smiling and laughing. And by the end of it, he said, I can't wait to watch the Ryder Cup. I can't wait to watch the Ryder Cup. I texted him the first day on the Friday. He was in the gym, and in the, that was after the Europeans swept the first uh, uh, foursome matches. And... Uh, they were up four nothing, and I texted him. He, he was just pumped. He sent one of those uh, emojis with the big arm pumped up and whatever like that. So, pretty cool. Uh, so, when we come back, top of the hour, Ladislav Schmid will co-host with us from eight to ten. Plus, we'll check in with Mark Spector from Rogers Sportsnet. Uh, before that, uh, this sports fourteen forty update is brought to you by First Round. Watch NFL football at First Round right here in the mall or on one hundred and fourth on Mondays, Thursdays, and Sundays. You could win a trip to watch your favorite team next year. Here is the. Duke.